Good morning again, and thank you, Graham, very much for reading that uh, wonderful portion of God's Word. John 3.16 is such a famous verse, isn't it, that uh, probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible. And uh, a lot of people say it's the most preached on verse in the Bible, but I don't remember many people preaching on it. I don't remember preaching on it myself. Maybe you've heard lots of sermons on it. I don't know. But you're going to hear another one this morning. Sorry about that. Like it or not, you can leave now if you want. But uh, it certainly is a very famous verse. The other thing that a lot of preachers say is there's a lot of bad news in the world. Bad news sells newspapers. Of course it does. Bad news makes headlines. Um, And it's nice to have some good news. And this is the good news, isn't it? This is the gospel. The good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And no better place to find it than in John 3.16. It's what my dad would call the gospel in a nutshell. And uh, the ESV study Bible says it explains what happened to make it possible that someone can have eternal life. That is, through believing in Christ. God so loved the world. Well, I don't know what you think the most second famous verse in the Bible is. Probably in the beginning, isn't it? Right at the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then, of course, it goes on to say not only how God created the heaven and the earth, but he also created mankind. And therefore, the statement that God so loved the world is not a surprise, is it? Because God made the world. God made us, didn't he? Human beings. And it's clear then, and it was clear to the people, it's clear now and clear to the people then, that God so loves all the world, all the people. It was a bit of a revelation to the Jews because they thought they were extra special. They maybe, a few of them, thought that God loved the Jews, the chosen people, more than he loved everybody else. But this doesn't say that, does it? It said, God so loved the world without any differentiation whatsoever. The world is a big place, isn't it? A big place. I'm always intrigued by uh, particularly American companies when they have their world headquarters. You know, Pfizer world headquarters. They also have a world series in a sport that no one else plays, which I don't call a world But that is their world headquarters. Sounds very grand, doesn't it? You're controlling the whole world, if you like. But uh, the fact is, God loves everyone in the world. He is indiscriminate. Christ Jesus became a man. He became a man to save men and women. Our God recognises no class high or low, rich or poor, young or old, man or woman, all are human and all are alike to him and his invitation is to all mankind. You know, I have many days where I, where, I mean, between you and me, people get on my nerves. I don't know about you, people get in my way. It's terrible, isn't it? Would you believe that? And, and, uh, and sometimes... I have to just stand still and I look, particularly at busy places, when people don't understand that I need to get somewhere very quickly and they're all in my way. And I look at people and I say, God loves him. God loves her. God loves him. God loves her. God loves him. God. And I look at people and I realise that God loves us all just as much. People that get on my nerves, he loves them. I reckon I could get on one or two people's nerves. Keep your hands down. But the fact is, God loves me. 
not a bad thing, is it? So there's a lot of philosophy and religious things and in the world and songs all about love. But God loved the world. God so loved the world. This word so comes into conversation a lot recently, doesn't it? A lot of people, you know, the under 30s often start sentences with so, don't they? So, I got there. So. Or they use it, oh, that was so nice. It was so good. And this emphasis on so. Not a bad thing, maybe. Bad for the English language. But God so loved the world. He loved it so much. That says an awful lot, doesn't it? About how much he's loved the world. But if we don't know the meaning of so, it means that he sent his only son, his precious beloved son, into the world. And most people only commit their lives to God when they realise how much he loves them. It's an unconditional love. When they realise that the whole of the Old Testament was talking about the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb, when Abraham was called at one stage almost to sacrifice and be prepared to sacrifice his son on the altar before God sent him a lamb. These were all preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ to come to the earth as a man. That God was prepared to sacrifice the most precious thing in in his world, and that is his only son. The Bible Speaks Today commentary says that if the depth of love is measured by the value of its gift, then God's love could not be greater. For his love is his most precious possession, his only eternal beloved son. He could not love more. The true looking of faith, uh, the true looking of faith is placing Christ's before one's eyes and beholding him, uh, beholding him in the heart of God poured out in love. And that's why we look at the cross, isn't it? That's why we've got a cross here. Some churches, of course, have crosses with Jesus hanging on the cross. And that reminds those people, of course, reminds us all that the terrible, terrible suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. Week by week, when they walk into the church, they're reminded of that suffering. And of course, the open cross reminds us not only of that suffering, but of course, the fact that God brought him back from the dead. That he's no longer dead, but he is alive So when we look at the cross, we realise that Jesus died and he rose again. But people say to me, and they must say to you, how can a God of love allow people to perish? How can that be? Why does he allow, allow people to perish? But we know from this verse that he doesn't leave us to perish. On the contrary, we believe that who we read that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, I often think of those, uh, wick- those wicked tenants of the vineyard. You know the story, don't you? Jesus told a story, told lots of stories. There was a story, set up a vineyard, uh, set up some tenants, come and run the vineyard, and uh, the way that they were going to pay him the rent was by some profit from the vineyard. So he sent his servant to, to collect some of the profits, which was only fair. He owned the vineyard, and uh, they sent... They sent the, uh, the servant away. Then he sent another servant. We don't know what kind of second servant he sent, but I guess it was a bigger servant, wasn't it? A bit of a tougher guy. You know, I've come round to collect the rent. Well, 
we're not going to pay, you can go away. And I think the third one, they actually beat him up. And then finally, the owner of the vineyard said, he, I will send my son, because they'll respect him. But of course, you know the story, they didn't respect him. On the contrary, they beat him up and they killed him. What a terrible, terrible story about that. And why did he say it? Um, Jesus asked the question, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the, the vineyard to others. That's harsh, isn't it? But it gets even harsher. I mean, the Jews listening to the story said, surely not. Surely not. Surely he wouldn't do a thing like that. And then Jesus looked directly at them. Interesting, isn't it? That must be scary, must not it? Having Jesus looking directly at you and saying, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that was quite cutting for the Jews, wasn't it? The stone that the builders rejected. And they found that harsh. Many, many people, many Jews still find that harsh. Those that don't accept the Messiah. It's tough stuff. Without dwelling on this, Jesus went on to say in Luke chapter 20, verse 18, Any, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. That sounds very harsh, doesn't it? Until we realise that he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And that's why he sent his only son. He loves the world so much that he sent his only son. Jesus is God's world headquarters. He is not partial. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we know, don't we? We all know, us sitting in church today, that believing in Jesus, of course, is not some kind of mental assent. It is believing in him, it's trusting in him, it is obeying him, it is receiving him for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. And yet, says Jesus, people love darkness more than light. Strange, isn't it? I, I recommend going to this re- uh, restaurant that is uh, pitch black. It's a good experience. You start talking about what it's like to be blind. You start talking about the food. It's impossible. It's ridiculous. We, had, uh, we thought it was ham. It was smoked deer. We thought it was two different types of meat for the second course. It was, it was the same type of meat. Somebody, I don't drink alcohol, but somebody poured a whole load of of water into their cup. They were so thirsty. Took a great big swig of this water. It was wine in their, in their water glass. People got really confused. Why would you love the darkness more than light? Well, it's clear, isn't it? Says Jesus, if you want to hide something, then you're going to love that darkness more than light. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember, don't you? He was with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas came with the soldiers to arrest him. Jesus said, why? Why do you come here at night under the cover of darkness when I have been every day in the temple in broad daylight, you didn't touch me. When I'm in the Garden of Gethsemane in darkness, then you come 
because you like to hide things under the cover of darkness. Well, many strange things go on after dark, don't they? Not nice. It's not nice when things happen in the dark, when you can't see them. I was on a bus last year, last uh, Halloween. I was on a bus standing there with my rucksack talking to somebody. And, uh, and um, just as the door shut, some likely lad threw an egg at me. And this egg went smash on my, on my coat and on my rucksack, over my shoes, over people standing around me. I was covered in egg. I won't go too much onto a tangent, but egg is very difficult to clean off, by the way. It makes a complete mess. And then the chap who did it ran into the darkness. That wasn't very kind, was it? I won't get too upset about it. I'll try to get over it. Still a bit on my rucksack to this day. But the fact is, of course he did, because then no one could catch him, because he disappeared into the darkness. Uh, I read an article recently where someone said, it's good to be afraid of the dark. It's not a bad thing, is it? Because funny things go on in the dark, because people love darkness, because they don't want their bad deeds, they don't want what they do in private, to be exposed. And verse 19 says, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that they may be clearly seen and that his works have been carried out in God. Last week I came through the, uh, the Channel Tunnel and I, I looked out the window and they built a lot more new fences. Really big fences with lots of barbed wire and uh, there's lots of floodlights. And the floodlights, I noticed, weren't shining in at the train track. They were shining out in the fields around. And so it's a sad thing, of course, these refugees trying to board trains, but they do it under the cover of darkness. And I was imagining, you know, some of those refugees maybe creeping up to the fence and suddenly the lights go on and it's light, isn't it? You can't hide. It's light. And that's exactly how it is in our lives. We might try and hide, but God's got a massive, great big spot lamp on us. We could be treating, creeping through the field and suddenly everything is exposed. At the end of John and and chapter 2, verse 23, it says, When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, um, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he knew what was in man. He knows us, doesn't he? He knows our hearts completely. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Nothing is hidden from God. But the amazing thing is that despite him knowing about every bit of darkness in our lives, every bit of evil thing we've done, thought and said, the amazing thing is that he loves us. He so loves us. He loves sinners. That's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? It's an old-fashioned word. Is it politically correct? I have no clue. It's old-fashioned that it puts people off. Or is it that none of us like to be told we're sinners? People ask what is right and what is wrong. Well, it's a good question, isn't it? But God is in that position to answer. God is the creator 
the giver of life. Jesus is the friend of sinners. That's who he mixed with, wasn't it? People that were, that were destitute on the street, people that were, were fiddling other people, people that had professions that you know, normally you didn't talk about in public. They were the friends, that, the people that Jesus befriended, or were they? They were just ordinary people, weren't they? Because all of us have got things that we'd rather hide from Jesus. They were just ordinary people. Living in the light of the Lord. That's a song, isn't it? David, you should sing that one. Living in the light of the Lord. You say, he's seen the light. He's got religion. It's people take the mickey out of people, don't they? Oh, he's, got the, he's seen the light. It's true, isn't it? God is light. Every other religion in the world depends on what you do to please God. How good you've been, how much money you give, what kind of religious ritual you go through, how many times you pray a day to try to please your deity. And of course, you never can get there. Because you can never please God. We know, don't we, at the final day when we come before the judgment of God, Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We cannot earn eternal favour with God. Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. He talks about the wheat and the tares, the good seed and the weeds, the narrow way and the broad way. There is a choice in this life. And true religion is removed from diet and days, from garments and ceremonies, and placed where it belongs, in the union of the spirit of man with the spirit of God. The purpose of God giving his son was the greatest gift of eternal life that is available to anyone, to whoever believes in his name. Not to perish means not to suffer under his judgment. That's an immeasurable blessing, isn't it, that we have from from, God. the Lord God. The wrath of God, not a cheery subject. I know a lot of people don't like to talk about the wrath of God. You know, don't come here to hear about the wrath of God. <laughs> but it's a reality, isn't it? The wrath of God is what Jesus talks about. We come to church to be encouraged, don't we? Well, I hope this is encouraging. It's encouraging because we've got eternal life if we believe in his name. But we can't hear one without the other, can we? The story of the man that Jesus told who was, who was in hell, who wanted to go back to earth. Let me just go and warn my brothers. Let me just go and warn my family. Would somebody please go from heaven to earth just to tell people on earth to avoid the wrath and the judgment of God? But that's exactly what Jesus did. See, we have a choice, don't we? But eternity is a very long time to get it wrong. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Well, we don't have to wait till judgment day, do we? Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. What a terrible thing to be living in dread. What a terrible thing, isn't it? Living in dread, living in fear of the wrath of God. I took a a car the other day and... uh, and uh, the, the driver looked about 17. He had no clue. He was in America, and it was a limo. And uh, he was going along the road, 
and uh, it was all calm and I realised I had no clue where he was going, he ran out of petrol, looking for a petrol station and I said there's one down there so he turned right, suddenly turned right, shouldn't have turned right and then immediately a police car was behind us and it made all the noises like they do in the films you know and uh, the chap came along and said can I have your driving licence son please and he gave him his driving licence the, the officer went back to the car and this chap's calling out the, the window officer, officer, I'm a limo driver, I'm a limo driver and the officer said yeah I can see that, you're a limo driver and, and then he went and sat in his car and started to copy down his uh, driving licence and then he leant out the door again he's saying officer, officer, I'm a limo driver I said calm down, calm down, what's your problem? You know, he'd just give you a little fine. And then he started to cry. I said, oh, come on, what are you crying for? It's only a little offence. And he's saying, officer, I didn't mean to turn right. And the officer said, of course you meant to turn right. And uh, I made the mistake of saying I like rhythm and blues when we got in the car. Well, rhythm and blues has changed since I was a boy, I'll tell you that. And he had this boom, boom, boom going on. He's crying his eyes out. And I said, why are you so worried about a little fine of turning right? He said, that's not my worry. My worry is that um, there's a warrant for my arrest. And I didn't go to the, to the court. And I said, well, what was the warrant for your arrest? Well, we got, I got in a fight. I said, was anyone hurt? Well, not badly. I said, well, what was your part? He said, well, I, had a, I, I was carrying a knife. I said, are you carrying a knife now? Yes. Why do you carry a knife? Well, I need to carry a knife. No, you don't. You're a limo driver. What else? Well, I was selling my CDs illegally. Uh, okay, what else? Well, I was, you know, cycling without lights, but I didn't know you needed lights in that town. And it went on. He had a big list of stuff. So he was afraid. He said, that's why I hate coming to New York, because I hate the cops. I said, well, if you're a limo driver, you're going to be in New York. You're going to meet the cops. Why don't you go to the police station and just talk it over? Because otherwise you're going to live in dread the whole of your life. He was scared, wasn't he? He was scared of the judgment. He was scared of the punishment. Jesus says, if you fall out with somebody, if you have a dispute with somebody, wouldn't you sort it out with your accuser on the way to the court? Why wouldn't you do that? Why would you wait? And that's why people have mediation. Why would you wait until you got before the judge and he made the judgment upon you and condemned you? Why would you do that? Says Jesus. It's daft, isn't it? Of course you try and sort it out on the way. Why wouldn't you you negotiate? Whoever is in the light um, of God, we can be forgiven. And that's why we pray, don't we, every single day. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honoured. May your will be done. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus was constantly praying for his disciples, wasn't he? Lead them not into temptation. Deliver them from evil. John 3.31 says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this. God is true. From whom God has sent utters the word of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see that life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We have to finish soon. People say it's not fair, you know, 
life is not fair. How can God condemn and punish people? That's not fair, people say. But of course it's fair, isn't it? Because he sent, he sent his son, the one who did absolutely no wrong to take the punishment for the things that we have done wrong. Some people say, I'm not sure I want to live forever because life is miserable. I'm sure the man be, being crucified beyond, behind, be next to Jesus, he probably thought, I don't want to live forever. What a place, you know, where I've been a criminal, where I've been crucified for what I've done wrong. And yet Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's eternal life with God, isn't it? It's paradise. It is being born again. People talk about born-again Christians. There's no such thing as a born-again Christian or non-born-again Christian. If you're a Christian, you are born again. You are regenerated. He who comes from above is above all. I've told you before about one of my favourite songs. If you can't shout saved, you'll have to face the penalty. That's good, isn't it? If you can't shout saved, you'll have to face the penalty. And when the final whistle blows you're going to lose your soul. His death was a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. This is the only way to be saved from God's righteous judgment from all of us who have been breaking his law. He is the only way to God the Father, says the Bible. He alone reveals God. He alone has authority over heaven and earth. It is only through him that you can be saved from God's wrath. He can forgive you your sin. He can remove the guilt upon your soul. Jesus can set you free from the bondage of despair and the sin that blinds your eyes and weakens your soul and brings you to despair. He can do this because he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that all who trust in him would be saved. Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen.